0: your feet. We've been in this series called Bold and um, we know that God has called us to bold things. Let me believe that God has some big things for you in 2019. So we're gonna read a verse together but will you do this with me? We have our church family joining us today in Fresno, Dallas, Texas, Utah, Colorado, Michigan, North Carolina, Oregon, Arizona, San Francisco, Kansas. Come on put your hands together and welcome some of our church family. Isn't that great? Wow. That campus is just growing. Our online campus is just growing more and more. We're seeing more and more joy- join us, so we're glad you're with us. Our theme verse is found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 1. And I want us to read it all together loudly. Those of you joining us online, will you do the same? Here we go. The godly are as bold as lions. I'm gonna tell you something. Godly people are bold. And I believe God's called you, He's called me to bold things. To pray bold prayers, to have bold vision. So we close your eyes together. Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. We know you're here. And and Lord, as your scripture teaches us in the book of Acts, that the early church, one of the prayers they prayed was, God, give us boldness. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came and filled the room where they're in, and they began to speak boldly. So fill us and make us bold. Let us be godly, let us be bold as lions. Lord, bless the Rams, in Jesus' name, amen, come on, everybody be seated Sounds like we got some Rams fans in the house, although I did see someone with a jersey for the Saints, so pray for them, pray for them, all right, as the game comes, if it, I don't know when it starts today, but I've got it set to record, so if it's going or it's going later, just don't tell me what's going on, I'm going to watch when I get home, all right You know, we're in this series called Bold, and uh, what we've learned is that God has called us to pray bold prayers. We learned that that Nehemiah was a bold guy. In fact, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, learning principles about boldness. And we learned that he was a bold guy because he was the cupbearer for the king, which meant that he drank from the, the, the cup of the king, could be poisoned, so he literally laid his life on the line every time that they had a meal in the palace. He was a bold guy and he had a bold prayer, and his bold prayer, vision, was this, that God would rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the home of his ancestors, it was God's people, and God's people had come home from captivity, but they weren't living and thriving, they were surviving, because they had come back to where they were called to be, but the walls were still broken down, so the enemy had access to them. So he began to pray some bold prayers, and that was that the king would give him the money, the resources, the authority to go back there, to leave, travel a thousand miles, and rebuild the walls of the city. And God answered that bold prayer. But not only did he have a bold prayer, he had a bold vision. This was a, a big deal. This is a big thing to see happen. And what we learned is that we need to pray bold prayers that care about what God cares about. We need to pray bold prayers that believe in a big God. We need to be, build, pray bold prayers that are persistent. Last week we learned that when he got to Jerusalem and started to do the work of God, opposition came. We learned that bold prayers require spiritual battle. You and I are in a battle. We have to fight for the promises of God. We have to believe for the promises of God. And so what I want to do, I believe that God has called us to bold things. As a church, that's our our theme verse, and that is that God can do exceedingly abundantly above what you even ask, dream, or imagine. God wants to do big things. He wants you to be people of vision. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible that I just want to focus on for a minute. It's Proverbs 29, verse 18, which says, "Where where Where there is no vision, the people perish. Another translation says it this way, where there is no vision, the people run wild. And I believe you'll never have the intentional advancement of God's best in your life. You'll never step up to all that God has for you until you learn to have the vision that God has called you to. And so what we're going to learn over the next few weeks, in fact, we're going to stay in the book of Nehemiah all the way through the end of February into the beginning of March because there's so much truth here that we're going to keep going. And so we spent two weeks talking about bold prayer, now we're gonna spend three weeks talking about bold vision. And so I'm challenging you to, to have bold vision, to believe for big things in your family. And so today I wanna to give you the bumper sticker, the big idea that hopefully you walk away with. But you know, it's interesting, a couple weeks ago I had someone come to me and they said, Pastor, you're talking about boldness. And man, I was feeling it, I felt like God was talking to me. And I got in the car and I drove away and I was driving through the city and I stopped at a stoplight and, you know, Lord, forgive me, but I grabbed my phone because you had to see this. This was the car right in front of me. Come on, how many know God's trying to give us a message? So be bold. Have some bold prayers. And if you're going to have bold vision, here's what you need to understand this weekend. And we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about it for a while. Is that if you're a person of vision, here's what you need to know. Bold vision understands timing. Vision is about timing. Timing. So I wanna show you a pattern that emerges in the book of Nehemiah. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter two. He shows up in the city. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, everybody say three days. Three days. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. Now this is what's interesting. Because I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. In other words, I had a vision, but other than the king, I didn't tell everybody about the dream. I didn't tell everybody about my vision. I waited. After dark, if you skip to verse 13, after dark, I went out to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. And, and I'll tell you, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna really talk about the gates and the walls and how they represent us and how that there's some truth there to help us build things. Because somebody I mean, you knows, sometimes we can get saved and come back to faith. We can be the house of God because they rebuilt the temple where God's presence was but we can still have areas of our life that are broken down and the enemy has access to them. Now, God wants to build those things up, and so we'll talk about that in a few weeks as it relates to vision. So he doesn't tell people about the vision in his heart. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing for, once again, I had not said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration see, what I find here is I read through the book of Nehemiah as a pattern. And the pattern is that we have a guy who has a vision, but he doesn't always share the vision because he understands that vision is about timing. His first vision was to rebuild the walls, so he begins to pray. He doesn't go to the king and ask for it. He prays first. He waits until the right time. And then, even when he's before the king, he doesn't tell the king because he waits until the king asks him how he's doing and what's going on. He waits And now, when he arrives in the city, he waits three days, he goes and inspects the walls, and he still hasn't told anybody yet. Now, next week, we're gonna talk about the process of vision, which is how do you talk about the vision? This week, we're gonna talk about the timing. When with vision. Next week, we're gonna talk about how to communicate it, how. And then the last week, we're gonna talk about the what? The plan. I believe that there's a reason why he waited. I believe that, in fact, I asked myself this question. Why didn't Nehemiah send a letter ahead of time? I mean, it took him several months to get there, travel a thousand miles. Why didn't he send a letter saying to the nobles and the people of the city, guess what, God's blessed us. I've been given the money and the authority and I'm on my way. We're gonna rebuild the city. Get ready, get your shovels ready, get everything ready because God is moving. We're gonna move and we're gonna do this thing. Why didn't he send it? Well, I, I believe the reason it's because when it comes to vision, it's about timing. And here's one of the things that he understood. Sometimes when you get a vision from God, you don't just jump on inst- you know, the internet. Did I say intranet? I started to say the instranet. You don't just jump on your phone and post and tell everybody what God put in your heart. And here's the reason why God wants us to wait sometimes with vision. Because number one, you don't want to give the enemy a heads up. Sometimes you don't want to give the enemy a heads up. In fact, let me show you this where I I see it because he didn't tell them ahead of time. He tells us he waited. And now watch what happens when he finally does tell them, when he finally reveals the plan. Watch what happens in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. When Sanballat, how many are thankful you're not named that? When Sanballat, who, by the way, was the governor of the region, when he heard that someone was coming in with authority to do something above and beyond him, he didn't like it. And when he heard... The plan that the work was going on, he was furious and began to make plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. I believe that, that Nehemiah didn't send the, the, the letter ahead. He didn't tell everybody right away. He waited till he got there, and then he told the people who were close to him, and then they made, started the process, was because he didn't want to give the, the enemy a heads up. You know, we do have an enemy. Last week, uh, Tanner talked about the fact we're in a spiritual battle. You see, because God's plans are about timing, You see, this principle of not giving the enemy time to plan, it's not just a spiritual principle, it's a natural principle. In fact, I'll tell you, how many know, if you have a little history in you, you went to school, that we had a world war, World War II, and how many know we defeated the bad guys, we defeated evil and Hitler, and the allies won? How many are thankful we won that battle, and we won that war? In order for us to win the war, we had to get onto the continent of Europe. Because that's where they had their stronghold, and we had to defeat them there. We had to go to the enemy's territory, which is a whole other sermon. We had to go to the enemy's territory and defeat the, the Nazis. So in order to do that, we had to invade from, from the, land, or the island of, of um, England onto the mainland. And that was what we call now D-Day. And it was the day we stormed the beaches of Normandy, and we lost like, thousands of soldiers, but we finally got a stronghold there, and then we were able to build our troops, and we were able to advance and defeat the enemy. But what you may not know about that story is that the Allied forces and the generals, they knew that if the Nazis had even 48 hours of advance notice, that the invasion would be doomed. So a year before they actually even invaded Normandy, they started a special operation called Operation Bodyguard. And Operation Bodyguard by the Allied Forces was a year-long disinformation campaign to throw the enemy off so that they wouldn't know the real plans, which is to invade at Normandy. And what they discovered is that there were 12 spies that were working for the German government, that they discovered who they were, they brought him in, threatened to throw him in jail, kill him, I don't know, execute him, whatever, and said, but if you'll be a double agent... We'll let you stay alive. And so they started using these double agents to feed disinformation to Hitler. For instance, they began to feed information that that one of the plans was they were going to invade in Norway. And so they began hearing this supposedly that the Allied forces were going to go to Norway. They began doing false radio chatter and talking about like snow equipment and things that were needed in cold temperatures. And so, so much that Hitler, three days before the invasion of Normandy, Hitler sent a whole division of soldiers to Norway, thus splitting up his forces. Not only that, this is the one I think is cool, is that they also convinced Hitler, or tried to convince him, that the place they were going to invade was a place in France um, called pas de And Padillou was a city um, that was the closest location and distance on the English Channel between England and France. So it was the most logical place to invade. So what the the allies did, the forces did, is they began to send false information saying that we're gonna invade at Padillou. And so across from Padillou, the place where they would come from in England, they began literally um, building up military are having this massive fake military buildup and what they began doing is suddenly um, as the flight you know flights would go over england and they would take pictures and you know it wasn't like today where you can see you know really close it was grainy pictures they began putting on the fields airfields and in, in the bases they began having blow up tanks and fake planes all over the place so that the they would think that this is where they were building up the military. They even did things like they put in the paper false invitations to weddings that were happening supposedly between American troops and English women. In other words, there were so many American troops that were there that now they're marrying all the women there in England. They even hired um, an Australian actor who looked like physically and facial features like one of the generals of England, General Montgomery. And he came, they hired him, and he learned the mannerisms of the general, and they began to send him out to different places that would be strategic places for an invasion and have him scout and meet with people so that they could report back that they, they must be gonna be invading in Padilu. In fact, you you don't even know this, this is crazy, I didn't know it, but when the invasion of Normandy began, they had a fake invasion start in Padilu, and they were dropping dummy paratroopers from planes, and as they landed in Padilu, they were rigged so that they made sounds of gunfire. In fact, there was a special forces unit um, um, in, in England that landed on the beach with these fake paratroopers that had big amplifiers that played the sounds of soldier voices and grenades going off. And their highest-ranking official, or highest-ranking spy, began to feed information to Hitler that this was the place. And he began. here's what they began to say. Oh, the invasion at Normandy, that's just a decoy For the real invasion that's getting ready to happen at Pas de Luz. And because of that, Hitler kept his troops and did not send any backups or any reinforcements to Normandy for seven weeks. And because of that, we were able to get a foothold in Europe, and we defeated the Nazis because you don't give the enemy the heads up. See, when it comes to vision, sometimes it's about timing. And what's interesting is that as we see the scriptures, we see stories. You see, obviously, Nehemiah said, I'm gonna keep it to myself because there's a time and a place when we're gonna step out and we're gonna do this thing. It's interesting. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph was a young man and he had a vision and a dream, but here was the problem. He didn't understand timing. And so he started blabbing his vision. He started talking his vision and he wasn't ready. He hadn't worked the process through. And so what does he do? He he goes to his brothers and he says, hey guys, guess what? God told me I got a vision, a dream. I'm gonna rule over you. And I had another dream where I'm going to rule over not only you, our family, and even the stars and the sun are going to bow down to me. And because he began to share the vision, his brothers do what any good brothers do. They faked his death and sold him into slavery. Some of you are like, thank God I have sisters, amen. And as I began to think about it, We know that God worked his plan through this process with Joseph, but I just wonder how many of us have opened the door for the enemy to lay traps and to create frustration to the vision and the plan that God has given us because we just didn't understand timing. It's interesting because the Bible tells us did you know that even with Mary, the mother of Jesus, God spoke to her about this child she was going to have and how he's going to be the savior of the world? And then the child was born and when the shepherds came, the the angels began to say how the the angels told them that he would be Emmanuel and he would save the world and bring peace. And she didn't run around and send out, you know, the the, the things, telling everybody that she would had her baby. She didn't post on Instagram, I just had a son and he's going to be the Messiah. No, you know what the Bible said? She pondered these things and kept them in her heart. And she passed that down, that spirit to Jesus. Because you know, Jesus, he, he didn't talk about it. In fact, he didn't even talk about the fact that he was the Messiah until years into his ministry. And when he did, it wasn't with everyone. It was with the people that were strategic in the fulfillment of the vision. It was a process. He understood the time. In fact, the Bible even tells us that Satan would have never crucified him if he had known the plan. It was hidden. Nehemiah understood, and so what I'm saying today is when it comes to the vision and dream that God's given for you, maybe it's a vision and a dream for for uh, uh, God to bless your business and take it to the next level so you can be generous and, and you can provide employment for people in, in the city and they can take care of their families. Maybe it's so that you can bring um, resources into the kingdom to help kingdom causes, and, but, but I want to tell you something. Whatever the vision is, if it's, maybe it's, it's going back to school or maybe it's finding a godly person to marry. Maybe instead of getting out there and telling everybody what's on your heart, maybe what we should start with is maybe we should pray it before we say it. Maybe we should process where is the enemy laying the traps? What is the thing that God wants me to do? How do I need to work this process through? That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, don't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. That's why it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. See, let me show you a great scripture. It's found in Habakkuk 2. It says, write the vision down and make it plain on tablets. So you need to write out what God's saying. You need to put it somewhere so you can look at it, so you can think about it. So you can run with it. But not only that, it goes on to say this, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. In other words, vision doesn't just come. There's an appointed time for the vision. So we need to learn the process of waiting. Maybe we need to learn the process of letting God show us and learn how to pray it before we say it so we don't give the devil a heads up. I'll tell you, when the Lord spoke to me and the anniversary is coming up, In two weeks and it's Super Bowl Sunday Super Bowl Sunday 2003 God spoke to me and said Jared you're gonna go and you're gonna plant a church now here's what I could have done as soon as God said afterwards I could have gone on Instagram and said I'm gonna be a church planter pray for me and then you know what happened I would have allowed the enemy to set a trap to create problems in my marriage because the first thing I needed to do is not say it, I needed to pray it. I needed to go home and I needed to talk to my wife and say, hey, i just what I'm sensing. What do you sense? And you know, my wife at the time, she was like, I don't know if this is the right thing for us. Is this the right time? And it took about three to six months for her to finally go, you know what, I see it. Imagine the trap the enemy could have laid for me. Imagine the trap he could have laid for me with my pastor. Like, well, wait a minute, what are you talking about? You're going to plant a church. And now suddenly people are saying, well, I want to go with you. And suddenly people say, I want to support it. And now it's caused problems and division in the church. Pastor doesn't know where my heart is. And how many of us have created problems that we wouldn't have to walk through because we just didn't understand that bold vision understands timing? Come on, y'all with me? Say amen. Don't give the enemy a heads up. The second thing that we need to learn about vision is this, and that is, don't give the critics a platform. Don't give the critics a platform. Let me show you what happened when they finally heard the plan. The first thing they do, when Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem and the Arabs heard of our plan, they scoffed um, contemptuously, and they began to say, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They asked, and I replied, Nehemiah says, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We as servants will start building this wall, but you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Here's basically what he said. Listen, God's given us a plan, and no matter what you say, you have no voice, you have no platform, you have no influence in the dream that God has given me. I'm not giving space to that. I'm not making room for that. I'm not giving you a platform, because here's the thing. Our words speak life or death, and there are always people that are out there that are ready and willing To destroy your dream Let me know that there will always be A Debbie Downer There will always be a Debbie Downer In your life Maybe God speaks to your heart And you're like You know this year We're going to really turn our finances around We're going to get out of debt And then suddenly they're like Dude you live in Southern California This is one of the most expensive places In the world to live Taxes in California are outrageous do you know, did you know right now, our, our state, can I just get on the soapbox for a minute? Our leadership that I don't know who elected, they tax us for everything. Did you know right now, not only have they started this, this tax for our gas, 60 cents on every dollar, they're now contemplating new ways to tax us and they're gonna try to pass a bill to tax every text that you send. Yep. Yep. They're working on it Just thought I'd throw that out there So pray about your politics There I just uh... You can't get out of debt You live in California you, you, You'll always be in debt That's just the way it is wah, wah. You know what God spoke to me I believe this is a year I'm going to find a, a godly spouse I've been praying and believing <laughs> Dude you, know, you realize The culture we live in today Have you been on Harmony? There's nobody godly out there. There's nobody that loves Jesus. You're not going to do that. You're going to have to stay single till Jesus comes, isn't that? Wah, wah. I'm telling you, there are always critics. What can I tell you? No one ever built a monument for a critic. Only for the people that they criticized. And what I love about this passage is that not only does vision understand the timing of God, vision understands that you don't give access to the voices in your life. I said it, the word teaches us that our words can speak life or death. So my question is, when it comes to the vision, as you begin to share the vision, who are you sharing it with? Are they people that can speak life into God's vision for your life? Or are they people who speak death? Who is speaking? Who has a platform in your life? Vision understands timing. Don't give the devil a heads up. Don't give the critic a platform. That's what Tobias says. You have no claim. The Lord will help us succeed. Come on, just say this with me. Say, devil, you have no claim in the vision God has for me. The Lord will help me succeed. Here's the last thought. When it comes to this idea of understanding timing, and it's simply this, very simply, pay attention to God's timetable. Pay attention to God's timetable. It's interesting because we read a moment ago, I'm not gonna bring the verse back up, but it says that I arrived in Jerusalem and then three days later, three days later, and he begins to say, I hadn't told anyone, but he goes and he, he looks at the gates that have been broken down and the walls, he goes and visits these wells, and we're gonna talk about all these gates and wells in a few weeks. Then he begins to communicate the vision. And next week I'm gonna talk about how do you share vision? How do you speak vision? Because we see how he did it and how God blessed it and how it was bold. But it was interesting to me because I asked myself the question, God, why was it three days? When I read things in the Bible, I don't believe that they're by accident. I don't believe that it's just a, uh, uh, an allegory of things. I, I think that there's literal principles that God is trying to teach us. And what I discovered, and there's a, you know, a theology out there called biblical numerology. And I think you can take things to, um, maybe too far, but what this biblical numerology basically teaches is that numbers have significance in the Bible. And they mean something. And if you'll notice through the Bible, there's certain numbers that keep reappearing. One of them is 40. For instance, when Moses, when he left, right, because he, had, he was running, because he'd killed someone, and he, the Bible says he went into the wilderness for 40 years, and then God spoke to him and said, go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. We know that the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, They came to the promised land, but because of their disobedience and lack of faith, God sent them back out into the wilderness for 40 years, and at the end of 40 years, they came in and they conquered the promised land. Jesus, before he started his ministry, he went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah, when God uh, fed him with um, the first angel food cake in the history of the world, (laughs) angel made him some bread, he got up and that was such good angel food cake, he ran for 40 days. So a lot of people believe theologically that this number 40 has meaning, and the meaning is that it represents the season of testing and preparation. You see, Moses had to go 40, 40 years in the wilderness to learn how to shepherd because he was getting ready to shepherd the people of Israel. The children of Israel had to go 40 years because they had to be tested in their faith and they had to, to raise up another generation that had faith. Jesus went into the wilderness to be tested so that he could step into his ministry. So numbers have meaning. Another one is seven. Seven is the number of completion. Why? Because after seven days walking around the walls of Jericho, the walls came tumbling down. God created the world in six days. He rested the seventh day and the world was completed. Completion. I believe that there's the timing of God. I believe that God has a timetable. That he has a plan. In fact, let me show you a really cool scripture in Ecclesiastes. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that there are seasons for every season, right? It's a a season to die, a season to live, a season to plant, a season to reap. And then he goes on and says this, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure for there is a proper time And procedure for what's the next two words? Every matter. So, when it comes to your vision and dream that God's placed in your heart, there's a proper timing and there's a proper way and procedure that that's gonna take place. So, bold vision understands, and we're gonna talk about the procedure in a few weeks. But the point I want to make is that we need to understand God's timing. And I believe God's timetable, this, I'm going to tell you my feeling regarding the third day, because I asked myself, God, why three days? Now, logically, it makes sense that he had to get there. He had to get settled in his new house. He had to meet the people that were in the city. He had to do certain things. He had to get the utilities turned on. I don't know. He had to do all that stuff. And it makes sense logically. But when I ask myself the question, God, why the number three this is what God said to me. Now, this is not theologically, you can prove it, but I believe the principle is true. It's interesting because the word three is found throughout the Bible. And the number three, it's it's used in different situations. And and so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna focus on Jesus. Because in Jesus' life, the number three appears a few times. The first time, it's interesting, there may be more, but but the first time that, that I was made aware when I was studying this week was that The first miracle Jesus ever did was on the third day. The Bible says on the third day of the wedding, his mom called him and said, turn the water into wine. His very first miracle was on the third day. as he began a new phase, a new season, because he hadn't done his ministry yet. It's interesting because as you look at the the number three, we know that Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had the three, the ones who were close to him. And what's interesting is that now he goes to the cross and he dies, and they put him in a grave for how many days? And if God has a proper time and a proper procedure, my question then went to this God, why did he need three days in the tomb? Why not just one? Why not two? It's interesting because um, a lot of times when you look at biblical numerology, the the number three, they say that it represents perfection. And here's why, because you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You have three in one, you have perfection. It's interesting, but, but here's what I find interesting is now that Jesus at the third day, he rolls the stone away and he comes out alive, he does as his new phase, because we know that he, he basically tells everyone that they need to do what they're called to do, which is go back to Jerusalem, wait for the promise, and then he ascends into heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, his new phase of ministry, interceding for you and I. So he begins his ministry with a miracle, and he begins his new ministry with a miracle. What happened in the three days? Well, the reason it was three days is for a few reasons, I believe, because God knew that he had stuff to do during those three days. You see Jesus didn't just rise from the grave and hang out in the tomb or he didn't just lay dead for 3 days and then pop up and move on. The Bible says that he went into the bowels of hell and he took away the keys to death, hell and the grave. He defeated the enemy, he led captivity captive. He was busy for those 3 days because there were 3 things that had there were things that had to be accomplished while he was in this season of waiting for his resurrection. Point is, is that you and I need to understand the timetable of God because just because you're waiting doesn't mean that God isn't working the process in you. In fact, maybe the procedure is in the waiting. Maybe in the waiting while you're in the wilderness, you learn how to be a shepherd. Maybe in the waiting when you're out in the wilderness and you can't eat for 40 days, you learn how to overcome the enemy and speak the word. You see, sometimes we're ready for the vision, but the vision is for an appointed time. And when you understand God's timetable, you can understand that we can not be weary in doing good, for in due season, God's timing, we will reap if we don't give up. I want to encourage you, listen, just because you're waiting doesn't mean that God isn't working. God is working in your waiting. He's doing something in you so that the time will come when you can stand up and grab a hold of every promise, every vision, every dream that God has for you. Amen. I don't understand it all But God had a timetable And there were things that needed to be fulfilled Things that need to be accomplished And here's what's cool He begins his ministry on the third day He begins his new ministry on the third day And that day just happened to be And this just a little cool thing The Lord showed me last night when I was meditating It ended up being the first day of the week You see, God's people. Until that time, they celebrate, they worship, they thought about God on the, on another day, on the Sabbath. But God said, "No." As we start this new season, because I gave you my first fruit, my Son, I want you now to celebrate and give your first fruit, your first day, of your week. How many know that God has a timetable? Someone tell me a story the other, or a while, several, several years ago actually. I've shared it before, but I'll share it here quickly. Did I just whistle when I said quickly? Did you hear that? It's like, Anyway, just throwing that out there. We'll watch on video later. I just, uh, you ever said a word and you whistle? He's like, I just whistled right now. It's pretty awesome. It was really quiet, but it was a whistle. Whistle while you work. That's <laughs> what I'm doing. Anyway, okay, sorry. So I had a friend, he said, you know, Jared, he goes, and he, we were talking about life. I, the church was just going, we'd only been a couple years um, into it and we had had some really cool moments and we had like a season that was kind of a challenging season and he said, Jared, he goes, you gotta realize that life is, a, is about seasons. He said, there's seasons. And he goes, here's the thing, when it's winter, you can't harvest. You gotta understand your season. He said, you gotta understand God's timing.'" He said, you know, my kids, they went through a phase where they loved kites. I have a feeling with the new um, uh, Mary Poppins movie, there probably has been an increase of kite sales around the globe. How many do you agree? And people are probably singing the old, let's go fly. I, I have. I started singing it when I watched the movie. He said they were into kites. They loved kites. And so here's what they do is they come to me on my day off and they say, dad, let's go outside. And let's fly a kite. And then I would begin to negotiate. How many no parents? You know what I'm talking about? Because I know that the wind is not blowing. So what that means is we're gonna go outside and I'm gonna grab the string and they're gonna hold the kite and I'm gonna take off running as fast as I can down the street, and the kite's gonna get like three feet off the ground, go like this and crash and then break, and then I'm gonna have to buy a new one. And I'm gonna have sweat rings under my arms. Because that kite's not going to fly because there's no wind, but they just won't give up. Dad, come on. This will be so fun. Let's fly a kite. And so because I love them, I go outside and I run up and down the street. We scratch cars. (laughs) We break kites and we have fun, but the kite never flies because there's no wind. But every once in a while, they'll ask me to go out and fly the kite on a windy day. You know, when, when they ask me on a windy day, I don't, I don't fight it. Because here's what I know. I know when I go outside, I don't even have to run very much. I just have to take a few steps and suddenly when the wind blows, whew, because it's all about timing. There's another story I'll give you as we bring this to a close and get, the worship team can come out. You know, God created... The animals of the earth And one of the animals he created One of the fowls of the air One of the birds that are out there Is called the hummingbird How many have ever seen a hummingbird? Aren't they amazing? Here's what's interesting about a hummingbird Did you know that They are not aerodynamic? No, that's not What's the word? Aerodynamically There you go I almost cussed in church Did you hear that? (laughs) Scientists Physicists say that they are not created, in fact, they're not aerodynamically designed to be able to fly. What's crazy is because they flap their wings between 40 to 60 times a second, they're able to defy gravity. What's crazy is that God actually created them a little different and their body temperature is lower than other birds. Because if their body temperature was higher, the amount of friction and the amount of energy they put in, they would overheat. They have to eat 60 times a day. And yet they're able to fly. And it's pretty cool when one's around you. (laughs) Then again, there's another bird of the air and it's called the eagle. And an eagle, what's amazing about an eagle is the eagle is able to soar to heights mild in the air and the way it gets there is it doesn't flap its wings 60 times a second. You know what it actually does? It'll start to fly, and as it begins to, to go into the sky, it'll wait for what's called a thermal draft. And when a thermal draft comes, with uh, 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 the, the air and then the heat and the way it works, all it has to do is just tip its wings a little bit. Suddenly, whew, it'll go to the next level. And then it waits again for the right time, and when suddenly the thermal draft comes, And I wonder how many people that are, are given a dream and a vision, a bold dream and a bold vision from God. Maybe that bold vision is that this is the year that, that you're gonna see reconciliation in your marriage. Maybe it's that this is the year that God's gonna help you to start that company or, or maybe this is the year that you're gonna find your spouse or you're gonna go back to school or you're gonna become a coach or you're gonna, you know, maybe you know, move up in, your, in, in the area that you serve to the next level. And I wonder how many people Running up and down the street, sweating, flapping. See, God hasn't called you to flap. He's called you to soar. But you can't soar until you start to understand that there's timing, that God has timing. Timing. And one of the things that I believe is you begin to talk and pray and think about bold vision and bold dreams for your life, for your company, for your family, whatever it might be, for your calling. I want you to know something, that God has a time, and maybe right now you're frustrated and you're angry, and you think, God, are you ever going to do it? But maybe you're just in the middle of, of the days leading up to your third day, because God is in a process of preparing you and making you ready to soar. God wants you to soar you can't force it you can't make it happen that's why the Bible says they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall rise with wings like eagles. they shall run and not get tired and not, they'll they'll flap and they won't get tired. Why? Because they're not running on their own strength and their own power. And I just want to tell you that God has the ability to breathe on your dreams. He has the ability to dream on your bold prayers. He has the ability to breathe on the things that are inside your heart. And he has the ability to take them to the next level. He has the ability to bring them to pass. So don't give up on your dreams. Continue to stand, continue to believe and say, God, I'm going to begin to pray it. I'm going to shut out the voices, and I'm going to to begin to look for your timing. I'm going to begin to wait for the wind. I'm going to begin to pray for the wind. I'm going to begin to get my, my wings ready to soar. Somebody say bold. Come on, somebody say bold.